Well, this morning, you can go ahead. Uh, I know you've already uh, heard from the Lord, uh, but we want to uh, continue that. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, you can open up to the book of Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. And as you're flipping there, we'll go ahead and, and remind us this, this morning. Uh, the book of Matthew was written by... Matthew, all right, we're, we're, we're going to try that one more time because some of you were, were obviously still, still flipping and not paying attention. So the book of Matthew was written by Matthew, and the book of Matthew was written to the Jews, and it was written to present Jesus as the son of, as the son of David, to present Jesus as the Messiah. And so over the last couple of weeks, we've been reading and we've, we, we looked at the lineage of Jesus. We looked at, at how, how God took and, and he... He traced the lineage through Matthew's gospel back to Joseph, back through the lineage as presented Jesus as the son of Abraham and the son of David, the son of the ethnic line, as well as the son of the royal line, and so presented Jesus as the son of David. Uh, we looked at uh, last week, uh, we looked at the, uh, the person of John the Baptist, how God sent John the Baptist uh, at the time to prepare uh, the way for, for Jesus, and so today... We're going to continue in chapter 3, and we're going to look not only at the person of John the Baptist, but we're going to look more intently at the message of John the Baptist. Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Now in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John himself had a garment of camel's hair and leather belt around his waist and his food was locust and wild honey. Then Jerusalem was going out to him and all of Judea and all the district around the Jordan. And they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River and they confessed their sin. But when they saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bring forth fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. And the axe is already laid at the root of the trees. For every tree, that there, therefore, that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I. I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And his winnowing fork is in his hand and he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor and he will gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with an unquenchable fire. Let's pray. Father, as we read this passage, Lord, may your Holy Spirit speak to our hearts. May you convict us of sin. Lord, may you encourage us to be obedient. Lord, if there are those here this morning who need to place their faith and trust in a Savior, Lord, may they cry out to Jesus, for He and He alone is the only one able to save. Now may your Holy Spirit accomplish His work here this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 
Well, last week we, we looked briefly, and I want to remind us, as John begins his message, he begins his message the same way that Jesus began his message in the gospel. As Jesus began in Mark chapter 1, he said, repent and believe. The very first message out of Jesus' mouth when he speaks about the gospel is repent. And let me also remind you that as Peter, at the day of Pentecost, as Peter presents his message after he, is, after he has made his appeal, presented Christ as the Messiah, as the fulfillment of God's anointing, that he makes this appeal to the people. Repent and be baptized. The message of John the Baptist is in concert with the message of Peter. It's in concert with the message of Jesus. It is in concert with the message of all of those who faithfully proclaim the message of the gospel. It is repent. And so what does this word repent mean? Many of us have, have heard preachers, have heard pastors teach on the meaning of repentance and indeed does mean to, to change direction, to go from one direction to turn the other direction. But it has a deeper meaning than that. It comes from the Greek metaneo. Uh, we looked at this last week that it, it comes from two Greek words meaning to change or to alter the, one, the, the thinking or the mindset. And so when we change the way we think, the way that we talk and the way that we act is a natural derivative of that change. And so as we look at John's message, he says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. There is a new king that is coming into his, that is coming into his reign. There is a new kingdom that is about to be ushered in. Therefore, change the way you think. What has been consistent for the Jewish people is that the law... The temple, the land has been paramount. For the Jewish people, there were three pillars of their faith. There was the law of God. There was the land that God had given them. And there were the Levites. There was the, there was, there was the, the, the priesthood, the law, there was the land, and there was the temple. And all three of these, these facets were the, the, the benchmarks on which the Jewish faith was built. It was built on these three pillars. And John is coming in and he's saying, Jewish people, the people of the descendants of Abraham, the descendants of Isaac, the descendants of Jacob, the people from the descendants of David, listen to what I'm telling you. Change the way you're thinking. The king is coming and he's not worried about land. He's not worried about the temple. He's not worried about the law. There is there's something that is coming in and, and you need to change the way you're thinking because Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. It is not an earthly kingdom that is going to be set up. It is not going to be ruled by kings and kingdoms and princesses and princes. It is not of this world. Change the way you think. It's not about land and borders and seas and mountains. It's not about keeping the letter of the law. In fact, as we get into Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, it was all an attack on the letter of the law and a commendation of the spirit of the law. He said, you don't get it. Change the way you think. And when you change the way you think, bring it in line to the thinking of the kingdom that is coming. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Well, let's go on and, and, and let's continue here. Because he makes this statement and he quotes from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. It says, there's the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. My wife and I have been blessed to have uh, three beautiful children. Uh, they're not always the most well-behaved children, uh, but uh, they are indeed beautiful. Uh, and so whenever, whenever we, we 
we have children and, and, and they don't always obey and they're, they're disobedient, we just, uh, we, can, we can come back to the fact that, well, you know, at least they're cute. At least they're good looking. <laughs> but whenever children come into the world, and my brother just had a, uh, a brand new baby and my sister's about to have a brand new baby, and life changes, especially in those first few weeks. You, you, you take and, and those nine months that that baby is coming and you're anticipating that baby coming, you do everything in your power to, to get ready for the coming of this child. And when the coming of this child comes, you think that you're ready and you have no idea how unprepared you were when that child shows up. You, you, you spend time, you, you paint the nursery, you buy baby beds, you get changing tables, you buy diapers, you buy outfits, you, you sterilize everything, you buy, buy special, special washing detergent. Whenever Daniel, I remember whenever Daniel was little, or uh, before Daniel was born, we went to Babies R Us and we registered and you know, it was going to be wonderful because we were going to have all of, you know, everybody was going to buy us stuff and it was we weren't going to have to spend any money on on anything and and so we go and we 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 register for the for the most high-tech expensive bottles you know because we want we want to make sure that this baby doesn't have any gas and 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 that he gets all of the the proper nutrition and and so we we register for all these expensive bottles and we get them home from the hospital and you know once you run out of those little those little bottles that the hospital give you you know you're you're kind of in panic mode. Okay, what do we do? And so we, we take these brand new bottles that we've sterilized in the dishwasher and boiled nipples and all this kind of stuff, and we start assembling them together, and we put the formula in, and we start feeding the baby, and he won't drink out of his bottle. <laughs> and so you have this, this three-week-old, two-week-old baby, and he won't eat, and he's hungry, and he's screaming, and as mom and dad, you've done everything you can to prepare, and you are woefully unprepared. And so I remember getting on the phone with my mom, and I said, Mom, go to Walmart and buy one of every bottle that they have. <laughs> and meet me at my house now, because my, he won't eat. And so she did, she went and she bought one of every, we had Evenflow and Graco and, and Dr. Dr. something. We had every one of every bottle that they have. And the bottle that he wanted was the 59 cent bottle with the, with the 13 cent nipple, that, the, the cheapest thing that you could possibly, now we had spent $6 a bottle, but he wanted the cheapest thing and, and life, after that life was good. But this illustration is, is, exactly in line with Isaiah's message. He says, prepare for the coming king. He is coming. Do everything in your power to prepare. Make his way straight. Prepare the path. But you know what? Even as prepared as you can possibly be, you're never prepared for the coming king. And that's exactly what the people realized. John the Baptist message, verse 11. Chapter 3, Matthew writes, he says, as for me, I baptize you, John speaking, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals, for he will baptize you with Holy Spirit and with fire. I want to point out a couple of things. There's a principle in John's message that is found in all four Gospels. 
Matthew's gospel, Mark's gospel, Luke's gospel, John's gospel. The principle of John's message was this, that there is one who is coming after me that is greater than me. Now, I want to remind us of something that we heard last week in John's message. Or in, in, I'm sorry, last week in, in my message as we talked about John the Baptist. John the Baptist was one who needed no introduction because the scripture tells us that all of the residents, all of the people that lived in Jerusalem, all of the people that lived in Judea had heard the message of John. John's gospel and John's message and John's ministry was unbelievably popular. You notice Matthew didn't introduce John because he had no need to introduce John because he was so unbelievably popular that everybody had heard of John the Baptist. They knew who he was. Not only did they know who he was, they knew his message. And John was minimizing his role and maximizing that of Jesus. That is a key principle for anyone who faithfully teaches and preaches the message of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter how, much, how big their ministry is, how much money they have, how, how influential they are. It doesn't matter how many members go to their church. If they are faithfully teaching and preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, they will always minimize themselves and maximize the Lord Jesus. Notice John's, notice John's quote in John chapter 3, verse 3. Jesus said, um, John the Baptist said this. He says, I must decrease and he must increase. That was the heart of of John the Baptist's ministry. He says, he must increase and I must decrease. And that ought to be the message of any pastor, any teacher, any preacher who faithfully preaches and teaches the word of God. That they want to minimize themselves and maximize the Lord Jesus. Because after all, it is Jesus who is king. It is Jesus who is coming. It is Jesus who receives all glory. It is Jesus and Jesus alone who is worthy of all glory. Not the pastor, not the preacher, not the minister, not the servant. John says, I must decrease. All the ministries of the gospel should minimize the role of the minister and maximize the role of Jesus. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. If you don't like the way John the Baptist says it, let's see how Paul says it. It's interesting all faithful preachers and teachers of the gospel desire to minimize themselves and maximize the gospel. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. For the word of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made fool- the wisdom... Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed the Jews asked for a sign, the Greeks searched for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. We preach Christ crucified. Paul said, it is through this, this foolish message, it is through this absurd message that God chooses to save those who will believe. It is not with eloquence of speech, it is not with, with the, the wisdom of the wise that God uses to save those, but it is through the, the feeble message of broken vessels that God uses to save those who would believe. Now, let's look at John's message itself. He says, I must decrease that... He must, that, that he might increase. But what is 
his message itself. Look at Matthew chapter 3. He starts out, he starts out in verse 11, and he says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am unfit to untie his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Well, there are two aspects that I want to try and unpack this morning. First of all, John says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he, Jesus, will baptize you with the Spirit of God, with the Holy Spirit, and with fire. Well, let's first look at John's message. I baptize you with water for repentance. What is John's baptism? What is John's purpose in baptizing for wa- uh, with water for repentance? John's baptism was designed to, to take men and women, to take people out of their lifestyle of sin. It was designed for repentance, for a change of thinking, that we're going to change the way we think, go from one way of thinking to another way of thinking. We're, and that in turn is going to change the way we live, the way we talk, the way we act. That John's baptism was a baptism, baptism of repentance, going from, from one way of thinking, one way of talking, one way of acting to another, that, that, that he was baptizing them out of a lifestyle of legalism, a lifestyle of sin, a, life, a lifestyle of, of, of keeping with the law or failing to keep the law. John's baptism was a baptism of repentance, to bring them out of sin. And as a pastor, I can communicate to you how not to live. I can, I can take the word of God and I can say, you know, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not... Uh, uh, Murder, thou shalt not have your uh, neighbor's wife. I can, I can tell you what the Word of God says, and I can, I can preach to you and teach you a message of repentance to bring you out of the lifestyle that you were once living. But as the pastor, I don't have the power to tell you and to, to teach you how God wants you to live. I can tell you very clearly from God's Word what not to do, but only the Spirit of God can give you purpose only the spirit of god can give you direction as to as to the life that he has called you to i can communicate some very basic principles that god desires you to live in accordance with his word that god desires for you to serve the body of christ that god desires you to love others as 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 you love yourself but but there's no specificity there and john's gospel was just that 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 we must we must come out of this lifestyle that we are now living and Ask God to give us direction in this new lifestyle. John says, I baptize you with a baptism of repentance, that that you are being baptized out of a lifestyle of sin. But Jesus is coming. He is coming who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And it it, it carries with it this idea that, that John's gospel, John's baptism baptized them out of sin, and Jesus' baptism would baptize them into new life. That you are coming out of sin, And you're coming into a new life. That there is a repentance, a change of thinking, a change of speech, a change of of deed, and now you're going into a new life. It's interesting. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul communicates it like this. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, he says this. For if by one spirit we were all baptized into the body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one spirit. Now this is the passage of the, of, of 
1 Corinthians, where Paul speaks about the giftings of the Spirit. And he says to some are giving gifts of prophecy and some are giving gifts of, of healing and some are giving gifts of tongues. And he, he goes on and says there's a multiplicity of gifts but one Spirit. How is it that, that I as a pastor can tell you what, what God has gifted you and how he wants you to serve? I can't. Only the Spirit of God can do that. Only the Spirit of God can give you purpose. Only the Spirit of God, as I am preaching and I am teaching, the Spirit of God speaks to your heart and says to, to Autumn, Lloyd, and to Daniel and Anna, you know, we want to take the money that we get at our chores and we want to give to orphans. I can't communicate that to these children. But I can watch the Spirit of God work in their hearts and see the life the, the, the spirit that God is moving in the direction, the purpose that God is giving them. I can't communicate to you what obedience looks like to you. But the spirit of God can. I can certainly communicate what repentance looks like. Out of sin. But I cannot communicate what obedience looks like. That's for the spirit of God and you. So oftentimes, as pastors and teachers, we want to play the role of the Holy Spirit and tell people what God wants them to do. What I desire is for you to get alone with the Holy Spirit. My desire is to box men and women up with the Spirit of God and their helplessness and force them to wrestle with what God wants you to do. I desire that every time that I preach and that I teach, that you leave not with, well, the preacher told me to do this, but you leave with the preacher confronting me with the truth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, with the truth of the word of God, and I now have to deal with what the word of God says. What is the spirit of God saying to you? What is the Spirit of God saying to you in your workplace? What is the Spirit of God saying to you in your family? What is the Spirit of God and the Word of God saying to you as you live your life? How does God want me to be obedient? John said, I baptize with, with water out of a new life, out of an old life. Jesus is baptizing you into, with the Spirit of God, into a new life. He also says this. He also says that I that that John will baptize Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and of fire. That's an interesting concept for the Jews. They would have heard this. Abraham is asleep. John uh, Genesis chapter fifteen. Abraham's asleep. God is confirming his covenant. The covenant is symbolized the burning fire, the burning torch and the furnace passing between the two pieces of the altar, of the, uh, of the offering, sealing that, that covenant with God's presence. God spoke to Moses in a burning bush. The presence of God, the wrath of God was manifest in Sodom and Gomorrah in fire. Fire was a very, a very clear symbolic representation of that of cleansing, that of purification. And so John speaks to the Jewish people and he says, I will Jesus will baptize you with the Spirit of God and with fire. 
The role of the Holy Spirit, not only does it give us purpose, not only does it define our, define our service, but, but it is that which cleanses us. Now, it's interesting because that fire which cleanses us is often painful. It is often difficult. The psalmist in Psalm 119 said, It was good for me that I was afflicted that I may learn your statutes. I imagine in the midst of those afflictions, Learning those statutes weren't very important. But on the other side of the cleansing, on the other side of the fire, he's able to look back and say, it was good for me that I was afflicted. James, the brother of Jesus, writes to the church, scattered throughout Asia Minor, undergoing persecution, undergoing hardships, being burnt alive at the stake. And he says, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials and tribulations knowing the testing of your faith will produce endurance and let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be complete, lacking in nothing. James makes the statement, he says, the role of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit is going to be to cleanse you from all impurities. To produce in you, to work in you, perseverance and endurance. God will baptize us into a new life and into that new life will necessarily mean that God must cleanse out of us certain things that are remnant from the old life. And that is a difficult and painful process. But on the other side, we can take joy knowing that that cleansing was for the glory of God that we may accomplish that which he has purposed in our hearts, that which he has laid inside of us, that which he has, that purpose and that direction which the Holy Spirit and only the Holy Spirit has given us. Now, I want us to notice the last statement in John's message. As a pastor, it's easy just to, to say, oh, well, you know, chapter 11, or sorry, chapter 3, verse 11 really dealt with the, the, the meat of John's message, and so let's just, let's just browse through and let's just, just brush by chapter, verse, chapter 3, verse 12. But let's look at it. And his winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor. He will gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with an unquenchable fire. I've heard this statement before, and it makes me, makes me want to slap somebody. They say the God of the Old Testament is the God of wrath and judgment, but the God of the New Testament is the God of grace and love. And I just want to slap somebody because the same God of the Old Testament is the same God of the New Testament, that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, that, that it, tells, it tells me in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1, 2, and 3, we see all three persons of the Godhead. God the Father, God the Spirit, and God the Son, the Word of God. In the first three chapters of the Old Testament, we see grace and mercy demonstrated time and time again in the Old Testament. We see the love of God demonstrated time and time in the Old Testament. We see His forbearance, His patience with the people of Israel. Even though they were playing the harlot and they were a people of idolatry, God patiently, lovingly, graciously guides them and protects them. And, and we see the grace of God in the Old Testament so vividly. And in the New Testament, 
We see the wrath of God and the judgment of God just as evident as we see in the Old Testament. And here in John chapter 3, as John is introducing God the Son, he introduces Him as a God of judgment, a God of wrath poured out against those enemies of God. And His winnowing fork is in His hand and He will thoroughly clear the threshing floor and He will gather His wheat into the barn, but He will burn up the chaff with an unquenchable fire. It reminds us of John's Gospel whenever John, the Apostle, gives Jesus the title given to Him by His Father as the Judge of the universe. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, it reminds us that all men will stand and give an account. It says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, in His is appointed for a man to die once and to face the judgment. And that judgment is going to be judged by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That He is that righteous judge. And that we will stand before a holy God in judgment. And we will stand before a holy God in judgment. And if we know not Christ, if we do not have an experiential relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, if His blood has not has not cleansed us from all of our unrighteousness, if we have not placed our faith and trust in Jesus and in Jesus alone for salvation, then we will stand before the judge of the universe and we will be condemned guilty. And you say, but God is a good God, a loving God, and indeed He is. But just as a good judge, a loving, kind, benevolent judge, would not, forego judgment on a mass murderer on a serial rapist neither would a good holy loving benevolent judge ignore your sin and my sin but the payment for that sin the penalty for that sin must be paid but the good news of the gospel is that Jesus paid it on our behalf that God made Him who knew no sin to become sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. That God demonstrates His great love for us and that while we were yet sinners, while we were continuing to live in our sin, while we are continuing to be haters of God, enemies of God, while we were yet in sin, Jesus died for us. And that the wrath of God, the judgment of God that was due you and I because of our sin was poured out upon Jesus. Jesus said, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. If it's possible, if it is in any way within the realm of possibility in all of the universe, if there's another way, I don't want to bear the wrath that's to come. But, not my will, your will be done. And on the cross, Jesus took that cup of wrath and he drank every last drop and he turned that cup over and said, it is finished. The wrath of God has been satisfied and if you will place your faith and trust in Jesus and in Jesus alone and what he has done and continues to do, then we can stand before that holy judge and plead the name of Jesus.
God is a God of wrath and judgment. But that wrath and judgment has been satisfied by the righteous sacrifice of Jesus. If you're here this morning, and if you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, I want to invite you to do that this morning. If you're here this morning, and you've been waiting for the preacher to tell you what to do in your service to Jesus, I want to ask you to do something very simple for me. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to tell you what He would have you do for His kingdom. It's not my role, it's not my position to communicate to you God's desire for your life. He is fully capable. John chapter 14 says the Holy Spirit will reveal all things to us. James says if you seek wisdom, let him ask of God who gives freely thereof. Jeremiah chapter 33, 3 says those who know not, when call upon God, he'll answer you and tell you great and mighty things which you know not. There are some of you here this morning who simply need to change your way of thinking and align it with God's. Let's pray. Father, we thank You. We thank You that that Jesus paid the penalty that we could not pay because we owed a debt Lord Jesus paid a penalty that we could not pay that we might have eternal life. Lord, if there are those here this morning who have never trusted Jesus, may today be the day of salvation. Lord, if there are those believers here who have been waiting for the preacher to tell them what to do, to be obedient. Lord, may you speak to their hearts this morning. There are those here, Lord, who need to, to realign their thinking that of yours. God, may you speak to their hearts this morning. Lord, may during this time of invitation, may it be a time where you deal with your people. Lord, as Jesus is lifted up, as he is exalted as the King of kings and Lord of lords, may he draw all men unto himself. In Jesus' name we pray.